Hello, my name is Scott McIntyre. I haven't seen my children, my daughter, Hinata uh, McIntyre, and my son, Harago uh, McIntyre, now for 702 days. They were kidnapped um, without reason or explanation. I've been attempting uh, to locate them since that time. I don't know if they're alive uh, or dead. I've had no uh, indirect or direct contact or communication with them despite uh, fighting uh, for more than uh, 700 days. And this is my story. Hi everyone, before we go to today's episode, I would like to remind everyone that we at Find My Parent recently launched a petition targeted at the Japanese government asking them to stand up for the 3 million kids who have been trafficked since 1991 legally with the help of single custody laws in Japan. Japan does not recognize joint custody laws as the lawyers and judges profit from it and receive up to 30% of the child support payments until the child reaches 20 or 21 years of age. While it's a gain for the lawyers and judges, this is a lost law situation for both the children and parents affected by the single custody law. Winning this campaign and getting the attention of the Japanese government to make a change depends on our ability to call on thousands of supporters like you. Your signature is all the support that we need. Please support our petition by signing it today at www.change.org slash joincustodyjapan or check out the show notes for the links. Now, in today's episode, we are speaking to an Australian named Scott McIntyre who have been making waves when it comes to the issues of child abduction and parental alienation in Japan. Scott was detained for 45 days in Tokyo for trespassing when he went to his in-law's apartment to seek information on his two children. Legally, he remains married as no restraining order against him, retains full parental right, but has not been able to see his children since May 2019 when his wife first left him with his children. While researching for a petition, I watched a video of Scott on YouTube and I knew that we need to get him on the podcast to explain further about the importance of the petition and the severity of the situation in Japan. I have included a short soundbite of the clip and you can find the link for the full clip in the show notes. This, um, my part of this uh, case is over, but um, what's not over is the situation with my children. I haven't seen my children now for almost 250 days. They were taken uh, in May last year without my permission, without my consent. And it's uh, my opinion that they continue to be uh, suffering from parental alienation. There is a law uh, against uh, abduction and kidnapping in Japan. I want this law to be applied by the Japanese police, item 224 of the Japanese Penal Code. In addition, Japan has uh, specific uh, international treaties and obligations to ensure that parents uh, and children are not removed uh, from each other. And I want uh, Japan and the Japanese government to uphold those legislations and those uh, treaties that they've signed because 100,000 uh, children are being uh, taken without the consent and, uh, and denied access to a parent uh, in Japan. 
most of those cases are not involving uh, foreign parents uh, such as myself. Most of those cases are those involving uh, Japanese parents who don't have a voice. And, and what we want to say is that what future uh, is there for uh, Japan if uh, children are being taken and removed from their parents uh, without their consent? The family court routinely uh, refuses to investigate these uh, forced uh, removals. The police, I, in my case, I went to the police uh, dozens of times and asked for their support in investigating uh, this issue, which is covered by Japanese uh, law and international obligations, and they did nothing uh, to support me uh, or my children. So all we want uh, as parents, and, and I stand here as one of uh, a representative of a huge collective of uh, parents from France, from Germany, from Italy, uh, from America, from Canada, from, uh, from South America, from Asian nations, but most importantly, I stand here representing the Japanese mothers and fathers who've had their children removed from them, and all we want is a system of a joint custody in Japan, that Japan joins the rest uh, of the civilized and modern world in implementing a system of joint custody. Because this is an issue that has been affecting uh, Japanese parents and foreign parents, male, uh, women, this issue does not discriminate on, on gender or race. It's one that affects everybody equally. And we stand here uh, on behalf of our children who don't have a voice and we want the Japanese government to bring a system of joint custody so that children are no longer removed from a parent. Hey Scott, first of all, thank you for taking time to be on this podcast. While researching for a petition on change.org, your name kept coming up when I searched for what was happening in Japan, especially when it comes to parental alienation and abduction. I'm sorry that you had to go through all that and I hope you'll be willing to share your story today with our audience. I find it ridiculous and just horrible that you were detained for almost 45 days in Tokyo prison for trying to visit your children at your in-laws place. Is that actually how it went down? Uh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, that's not the most horrible. The most horrible news is that I'm, I'm a, um, yeah, unfortunately me and my children are, um, you know, yet another uh, three victims of this um, system of uh, child abduction that is, um, that's supported, that's encouraged, and that's aided by so many um, uh, aspects and elements of uh, Japanese society. Of course, um, uh, I would rather not have been um, arrested and detained for a couple of months. But um, yeah, we, you know, we need to do what we need to do to try and um, to try and find our abducted children because the way that the system currently is in Japan, they don't want you finding abducted children. They don't like you looking for abducted children. Uh, indeed, uh, my understanding was that there was um, a memo. Uh, that went out uh, last year from the Japanese police to the um, Association of uh, Private Investigators in Japan, telling them that they were no longer permitted to even investigate uh, any cases of child abduction uh, in Japan. So this is a, it's a horrific uh, system. It's an inhumane system. And it's a system that very influential um, elements of Japanese society are doing everything that they can to protect and and Japan needs to be called out internationally. They need to be held to account internationally, and they need to be told that time is long overdue to stop child abduction. Yeah, exactly. The amount of disregard for family values and the right of children to have both their parents in Japan is alarming. Japan is the only developed country and the only G8 country that do not have a joint custody law, and Japan routinely force families into single custody even if the divorced parents are willing to practice joint custody. With that said, Scott, let's dive deeper into what happened to you. Can you tell me your situation briefly so that people who are listening can get a good understanding about it? 
Yeah, sure, no worries. So, so in May um, 2019, um, uh, my wife uh, abducted our two children, uh, Hinata, uh, our daughter, and Harugo, our son, uh, from our apartment uh, in Tokyo. Uh, I came home one day, and you know, it's a familiar story <laughs> to listeners of this podcast. Um, I came home one day, and they were not there. Um, I attempted to contact them, and um, there was no contact. And um, and since that day, uh, in uh, in May 2019, so it's almost two years now. Um, I've had uh, no contact with my wife, no contact with my children. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know for sure um, uh, that my children are alive. I don't know uh, if they're in school. I I don't know if they're healthy. I I don't know anything. I, I, I literally don't know where, where they live. Uh, I have no way of contacting them. For many years, I was uh, essentially raising uh, the children by myself. I would take them every morning to school. I would pick them up every afternoon. Um, I would uh, do uh, their homework uh, in Japanese, which is not easy. Um, uh, I would take them to all their after-school activities on the weekends. I would take them to parks. My wife was absent for most of that time. Uh, she would uh, regularly go out uh, drinking and, and partying with her friends. And essentially, I was raising the children by myself. Uh, she made it clear to me that uh, she wanted me gone <laughs> uh, for whatever reasons, her reasons. Um, this happens, uh, marriages, uh, relationships break down. This is normal. And uh, what's not normal is the reaction in Japan where you have a system of, uh, of single custody uh, that allows, um, and in my opinion, encourages uh, with, the, uh, with the addition uh, into this mixture of... Uh, of the Japanese legal profession and indeed lawyers uh, who are chasing money. Uh, lawyers in Japan can claim up 30% of any money uh, paid uh, as child support to the children, which is one of the only nations on earth where lawyers can, can legally claim a slice of money that should be going to children. Uh, and also, in my opinion, that encourages lawyers to encourage parents uh, to abduct uh, their children while the system in Japan is so complicated um, and, and multi-layered. And so you can imagine the, the, the grief and the anguish that a parent uh, is suffering when they don't know if their children are alive or dead. They don't know if their children, they don't know if their children are healthy, uh, are being educated. None of this information. I went repeatedly to the Japanese police to attempt to file a missing persons report. I was told I couldn't do it. I attempted to file a kidnapping report. I was told I couldn't do it. Um, I had access to my wife's email uh, and discovered during this time that she'd been planning this abduction with a lawyer for months prior to the actual abduction. Her family was also involved in the, in the planning and execution, uh, as well as another lawyer uh, of, the, uh, uh, of the abduction. And, and uh, during those emails between my wife, um, her mother, uh, various lawyers, uh, it was made clear that their goal was to have me deported uh, from Japan to be completely cut off from the children uh, and to never be able to return to Japan ever again. I attempted to present uh, this evidence to the Japanese police. They told me they weren't interested in even looking at it uh, and go away and to stop bothering them. Uh, they considered this uh, a family matter. Uh, it's clear uh, under Japanese law that a child abduction is a crime. I presented them with that law, they didn't want anything to do with it. They repeatedly told me uh, just simply to go away. Uh, about six months after the abduction, there was a major uh, typhoon uh, in Japan where several, well, not several, several dozen uh, people were killed. Um, I had no idea if my children were, were amongst 
those um, who were killed because I have no idea where they are. Uh, I have no idea if my, as I said, if my children are in Japan, uh, if they're somewhere else um, on the planet, if they're alive or if they're dead. So I, um, I visited uh, my wife's parents' house in an attempt to see if my children were there. Uh, I entered uh, on one single occasion into the lobby of, um, uh, of that apartment and was there for no more than uh, 60 seconds. Uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, there was a knock at my door with um, uh, more than a dozen Japanese police uh, with a search warrant. Uh, they came into my apartment uh, and arrested me carried me out um, in front of all the neighbors down uh, into the police car. I was held in the local uh, police station in our neighborhood for, um, I don't know, maybe three, four weeks. Then uh, I was transferred for another three, four weeks to um, uh, Kosuge, the, um, the, uh, the, the Tokyo Detention Center where Carlos Gon, the, the Nissan executive, was also held prior to his um, departure from Japan. Uh, a year and a half ago, um, and the conditions in there were brutal uh, and inhumane. You're subjected to 24-hour light. You're uh, essentially not permitted to exercise. You're not permitted to uh, to stand up. Uh, you're not permitted um, uh, to talk uh, during these uh, periods when you're meeting with the um, the prosecutor. I mean, this is a whole separate uh, story. Japan also uh, needs to uh, very quickly um, reform uh, their prison system because this is also an inhumane. Um, institution, one that we're not here to discuss on this podcast, but one also that needs um, a serious uh, inspection from the foreign uh, community. So I was um, I was arrested, uh, charged, uh, and convicted uh, of one uh, sole count of trespassing, tetakushinya uh, in Japanese, uh, into my um, parents-in-law, uh, the the common area. Uh, of my parents-in-law apartment. And indeed, it was not even uh, due to a quirk of a Japanese law. It was not even the uh, parents-in-law uh, who were the victims in this case. It was apparently the apartment um, uh, owners, <laughs> the, um, you know, this uh, common uh, ownership committee. They were the actual ones that took legal action against me. So it's just a very curious case. Uh, and, and certainly, um, I think, completely unjustified given uh, that um, you know, I'm the victim <laughs> of having my children abducted and I was merely attempting to, to locate uh, my children. I was harassed uh, and, and, um, <laughs> and vilified by these police on multiple occasions. And um, it, indeed, that continues. So, so subsequent to my release, I managed to obtain um, an Interpol a yellow alert, um, uh, basically searching for my children, I presented this to the same police that arrested me. Uh, they racially abused me. They uh, told me to go back to my country, that they would never help me. Uh, and then they, uh, they locked me uh, in a room and turned the lights off um, uh, for 10 to 15 minutes before uh, allowing me to leave the police station. This is absolutely disgraceful uh, treatment. It's illegal uh, for, for the Japanese police to behave like this. I attempted to file a human rights complaint with the, ministry, the Japanese Ministry of Justice. Um, uh, with evidence um, of all the actions uh, from these police as well as the kidnapping of my children. I received notification after three weeks that the, uh, the human rights um, division within the Ministry of Justice 
uh, didn't even deem it necessary to look at my evidence. They didn't deem it necessary to open any form uh, of investigation because this is an issue that Japan wants to keep silent. They want to keep it uh, hidden from the world because it's bringing great shame upon them. And instead of doing what most uh, normal nations would do um, in investigating, addressing and correcting uh, human rights violations, Japan blocks their ears to the international community and stands in front of the international community and lies to them as they lie to individuals through the police, through the court, through government uh, instruments. And they refuse to admit they're wrong. It's an element of um, Japanese society, of Japanese culture that doesn't obtain solely to this um, area. In my opinion, of being in Japan for many years, um, it's a trait of the Japanese people. If something is wrong, if something is confrontational, they will never face it, they'll never admit they're wrong, and they'll never correct uh, the errors. Uh, in, and in the case of human rights violations, it's a poor cultural trait to maintain and one that the international community must force Japan to confront and must force Japan to change because it's clear they won't change of their own uh, will and, uh, and volition. I always think that in order for people to support a cause, they really need to understand what is happening and then empathize to the hurt, resentment and anger and finally decide to act or do something about it to help. In order to facilitate people who are listening to go through all those steps in their head, tell me the worst part about all this alienation and abduction that has happened to you. It's not, it's not just alienation. It's the, um, it's the, it's the fear of, of not, knowing, not, not knowing where your own children are on this earth. And, and, and being blocked, it, it's not like I've been quiet. <laughs> I mean, I've been, so I, I've made um, two separate requests to, so school records in Japan are not kept uh, centrally. They're kept through the local government where your children uh, are enrolled. And within Tokyo, that's then uh, divided into the 23 districts of Tokyo. So it's a, it's a rather curious uh, situation. So I've made um, two separate requests um, as I'm legally entitled to because I still uh, maintain joint custody over my children to obtain the school records of my children. Uh, on both occasions, those records came back completely redacted, uh, covered in an, enough black ink to uh, go through several um, printer <laughs> cartridges. And when I asked why this was the case, they said, uh, well, your wife um, asked us to hide these records. And trying to unravel um, all of these uh, institutional uh, situations is extremely um, difficult. It's extremely taxing physically uh, and mentally. Um, I've attempted uh, on more than half a dozen occasions to file missing persons reports. I've attempted to file um, kidnapping uh, reports. Uh, I should also mention during my time in detention, uh, my wife and her mother came into my apartment uh, uh, the lease was uh, done through her family. So they cancelled the lease on the apartment, uh, essentially evicting me <laughs> during my detention. Uh, they then stole, uh, removed, um, disposed of and stole um, virtually everything inside the apartment because when she left, she left everything. So she came back 
uh, nine months later when she knew I was in detention and cleaned out the apartment. Uh, I attempted to file charges uh, on her and her mother, trespassing, the same as what I was convicted for, as well as theft. The same police told me uh, they didn't see any um, issue with what had happened and that they weren't uh, intending to do anything. Just another um, yeah, blow under the Japanese system. But, but for me, the, the, daily, um, the daily struggle is one of, I, I went, uh, my daughter was um, uh, eight or nine at the time of her abduction. Um, my son was seven. So you go from um, waking up with your children and talking about the day, um, taking them to school, picking them up, doing the homework, having their friends over to play at the apartment or we go to a park to play, uh, preparing dinner, uh, giving them a bath, uh, reading them book, talking, laughing, telling stories. All these kind of things for seven, eight, nine years on a daily basis. So then the very next day, um, having that uh, removed and, and not knowing where they are, not knowing what their daily activities are. And for me, it feels more like, um, it feels in a sense uh, that they've died. Um, that, uh, that all you have um, is memory of these times. The same uh, grief I imagine uh, that a parent would have uh, if a child had died. I'm not able to know anything uh, about their lives, and uh, it's it's been almost two years now. Uh, I can't. I, I struggle to look at um, at photos or videos because it's too difficult. I struggle to remember the sound of their voice. I struggle to remember what they look like. There's every chance if I pass them in the street now, two years later, that I wouldn't recognize them. And, and, and it's this grief uh, that you carry with you. You know, sometimes you may get uh, you know, tied up in things that you're doing on a daily basis and forget about it, but then it suddenly strikes you. You know, if you, if you pass a school or you pass, um, uh, you know, um, parents and children in the supermarket, you know, it's just little things that, that brings it back. Um, I, I, I've been fighting for two years through the, through the family court in Tokyo uh, to be able to obtain any um, form of access to my children. Um, uh, there were uh, three reports uh, that were combined, uh, compiled by the court. Uh, the investigation was done by an individual who has no formal training uh, in uh, parental alienation, has no um, university qualifications in any form of child psychology. I complained repeatedly about this and asked for an expert to be brought in. Uh, they refused to do so. Um, the reports have progressively become worse. Uh, the first one was uh, six months after, the, in roughly 12 and 18 months after the abduction. And, and, and to the point now where, and you know, I mean, I, I've submitted um, or attempted to submit 20 hours of video footage, um, hundreds of photos of me and the children together, you know, with the children saying, you know, I, uh, just normal things, you know, I 
thank you, Papa, I love you, Papa, you know, all the things, the daily things we're doing, playing together, all these things. The court said, no, we see no need to, um, uh, to even look at these uh, documents. The first report, they did an extensive a family tree of my wife, uh, all her family, her, her parents, her brothers, her relatives. On the other side of the tree was me, <laughs> nobody else. So it's as if, um, uh, you know, the children's Australian family doesn't even exist for the Japanese court. Again, I complained about this. They said, oh, no, it's no problem. Uh, we're just only interested in, uh, in Japan and, and Japanese people, we're not interested in foreign people. My wife had told the court directly that she, um, uh, she despises uh, Australian people, Australian culture. The children were born and um, brought up in Australia. Uh, very close with their cousins, very close with their family. Um, and, of course, uh, this is the thing that's often missed in this. It's not just me. Um, who's suffering on this side. And the kids are not just suffering from denial of access to me, but in this case, they're suffering from a denial of access to their cousins, to their grandparents, to their culture, to their history, to their language, to their background, all of these elements. When the kids were in Australia growing up, we made sure that they went uh, to Japanese school. We made sure that they spoke Japanese at home. We made sure that they um, uh, read and wrote Japanese, that they had Japanese friends that they were constantly exposed to Japan because it's a very important part of their identity and their culture. Yet uh, the Japanese system is saying that none of that matters, that, um, that there's no obligation for them to even maintain a connection um, with, yeah, with, you know, with that uh, part of their, their identity, which is, uh, for me, it's a, it's a human rights violation. Because I mean, the United Nations um, CRC conventions on the rights of the child says that you must maintain contact with both parents. You must maintain contact with uh, any uh, cultural, um, historical, linguistic uh, background that you have. And these kids are being denied that. And this is another instance where Japan should be brought to task by the international community because they're they're, they're creating a little army of Japanese children out of these mixed-race, uh, biracial um, children that have the right to access um, every um, element of, the, uh, of their identity. And the Japanese system is saying, no, we don't recognize that and, um, and, and we won't afford kids these rights. So, so, so for me, it's, it's a daily struggle because I'm constantly talking with politicians here many of whom are great, uh, recognize these problems and are trying to change it, but not enough of them, unfortunately. I constantly um, talk with local government organizations. I'm meeting with lawyers. I'm, I'm in and out of courts on all sorts of um, cases. I'm, I'm currently suing my wife in the district court of Tokyo over an affair uh, that she had um, with a Dutch guy a couple of years ago, which she's denied uh, in court, despite the fact that um, the gentleman in question very kindly provided me with a statement confirming <laughs> that it did indeed uh, take place. I'm suing her uh, over denial of my rights. I'm attempting to sue her over the theft of my property. I mean, I'm doing everything I can to try and um, use whatever legal uh, methods and means uh, that I have, but the walls are so thick, the barriers are so high. <laughs> Uh, the institutional roots of um, Japan's abduction uh, industry are so deep that, uh, that it's a long battle. It's not a battle that one person can win. But that's why, uh, you know, um, every time uh, we can shine a light 
on what's happening within Japan. It's um, it's a really positive uh, thing, and that's why we thank uh, yeah, you, you know, you guys that find my parent, um, everyone else that is that, that's trying to to stop this problem. It's of course not a problem that's uh, exclusive um, to Japan. Uh, you know, I'm I'm aware that this goes on in other nations as well, but um, Japan is now. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the Olympic gold medal winner in child abduction, and, and and this nation shouldn't be fit to host an international sporting event. Nations shouldn't be doing trade with Japan. There shouldn't be uh, Japanese people freely traveling on visas uh, to countries where uh, children have been abducted by Japanese people by the Japanese system. And, and we need to do everything we can as an international community to fight alongside the Japanese parents because we should say of the estimated 100,000 children that are abducted every year in Japan, 95,000 of those are Japanese victims of the, of the Japanese system themselves. So we must support um, uh, local victims. We must fight as an international coalition to bring an end uh, to this horrific system that is... Um, that it's making a lot of people very rich and very wealthy, uh, people profiting off the abduction of children. Uh, there, there must be some uh, form of a royal commission into this that, that everybody who's profited off the abduction of children will one day be brought uh, to, to, to face justice and that there'll be justice for our children and, and that the human rights of our children will be restored. One of the things that we gathered through our research for the petition is that the Japanese lawyers who do this are doing it out of greed and nothing else. Apparently, the system in Japan is set up in such a way that the lawyers will get a huge chunk of the child support payments till the child reaches 20 or 21 years old. I can blame the lawyers' greed all I want, but if you take a step back and look at what is happening, it's the whole Japanese government and the laws they have created that is enabling these lawyers to be greedy in the first place. So Scott, in your situation, did your wife, now ex-wife, plan this from way beginning with lawyers as I noticed that that's the case in most situations? Can you also explain a bit about your situation, how the lawyers got involved and why she did all this in the first place? Yes, yeah, so, so she, was, um, she, she was in contact with a lawyer for months before the abduction asking how um, she, could, uh, she could find a way to get rid of me. The lawyer... Um, gave specific um, advice um, uh, to try and make me angry, <laughs> to, to secretly record me, and then to, um, to go and file um, some form of domestic violence uh, complaint, which is standard procedure in Japan because the domestic violence <laughs> laws here are, are completely ridiculous where um, somebody that has been accused of this, uh, I'm not sure, but I uh, suspect that this was the case <laughs> in my situation. Um, has no right to even know they've been accused of it. They have no right to um, challenge it. They have no, no right to defend themselves. But um, if someone, it doesn't need to be a woman, it can equally be done and has been done by men. Uh, if you make a domestic violence complaint, then um, the whole system will, will close upon you and, <laughs> and, and you won't be able to get any information. So I suspect this is what's happening to me. Um, and I should say just clearly and very much for the record, um, I love my children and there was never in any way, shape or form, any form of domestic violence. Um, uh, however, the, 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 the lawyer in the court documents is claiming that I'm, uh, yeah, that, that somehow there was a violence from me and that, that I should be, um, 
uh, I should be responsible for the breakdown of the marriage and I should pay uh, my wife um, uh, approximately 30,000 US dollars um, for being such a terrible guy. There is no, um, there's no uh, evidence being presented. There is no uh, justification for any uh, of these claims whatsoever. And yeah, and, and you know, me and my lawyer are, are very confident that we will um, manage to see this off. But this is the element of um, uh, people just chasing, yeah, uh, the, chasing money. Um, as to why my wife's doing it, I, I also want to know the answer to this question. Um, and indeed, um, I would love if you could somehow attempt to reach out to her because it's very important uh, not just to take my side of the story. Uh, it's equally important uh, to listen to the other side of the story. And, uh, and, and I've done quite a bit of media around my case. Um, in every instance, I've asked the same thing. Uh, please uh, reach out to my wife uh, or her legal representatives. Please ask them for their side of the story. Uh, and they've um, refused to do so. This is um, more than half a dozen um, occasions where they've been contacted by, um, by media from, <laughs> from Japan, from Australia, from all around the world, asking them to present their side of the story, uh, and they won't do so. So it, it's curious to me that, um, that if this woman has uh, some... Uh, you know, deep um, reason or justification uh, for a two-year-long um, child abduction that she shouldn't be reluctant um, to tell her story, um, uh, well, whatever her story may be, because I would also love to hear uh, from her um, and, and hear her side of the story, hear what, 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 why is she doing this? What is the justification? What is the benefit? How does she see uh, it's in the interest of the children to remove them uh, from their father, uh, not just their father, but their Australian family, their Australian uh, culture background, remove them uh, from a major part of their identity uh, for two years and inflict uh, you know, lifelong damage upon them. I would love to know also the reason uh, why she's doing this. Right. If anyone from Scott's ex-wife team is listening, we from Find My Parent would love to talk to you we would like to present your side of this just so that we can understand what caused you to do all this. No judging, we just want to talk. With that said, Scott, I think the core issue here is the sole custody law in Japan. The moment that changes, I believe a lot of things will follow through from there. Even things like false domestic violence cases and all that will go away because there's no reason to do that at all. Mm. Yeah, that, that's precisely correct. And that's exactly what happened uh, in my case. And it's what happens in the overwhelming uh, majority of cases and, and it comes back to a problem of the system because if you have uh, a system of joint custody after divorce where, where parents have equal rights and have equal access then, uh, then there, is no, um, there is no kidnapping. The other problem is the domestic violence laws uh, themselves that, that, that uh, unlike uh, most countries on earth don't require judicial intervention so under the Japanese system, uh, somebody uh, can simply go uh, to the police and, and present themselves without evidence. And this is a crucial part, without evidence, as a victim of domestic violence, and they are immediately afforded protection. That protection is unchallengeable. Uh, That's probably not a word, but you know what I mean. Um, and it's without uh, time limit. So you have this bizarre situation, and and I know people 
that have used this um, uh, in reverse when they're attempting to just uh, simply get away from somebody they don't like. <laughs> and it took them less than 30 minutes at the police station with no evidence, uh, with no documentation. And 30 minutes later, they were presented with a form that they were uh, recognized uh, as a victim of domestic violence. It was absurd. The person uh, knew that there was no domestic. They were simply trying to um, use these laws uh, to hide the children from somebody that they didn't want to meet. Uh, and, and they were um, very quickly uh, granted such protection. So, um, of course, we recognize uh, in Japan, uh, as uh, anywhere else in the world, there is a problem with domestic violence, as there is all over the world. And I stand opposed to any form uh, of domestic violence. But you must have uh, judicial inquiries. Um, in Australia, within one week, the case must be presented to court. Both parties have a chance to uh, state their case, defend themselves, um, uh, to present evidence, and, and there's a determination made. The problem in Japan is you have single custody combined with these unbelievably poor uh, domestic violence laws, and lawyers know it. <laughs> and this system has been abused for years. If we uh, say that 100,000 children are abducted in Japan every year and more than 75% of those cases are involving domestic violence incidences, then this makes Japan the world's uh, leading domestic violence nation by about triple the next nation. And it's just, it's patently not true. Uh, it's absolutely not true. And it's doing a disservice to genuine victims uh, of domestic violence. So not only the... Um, the, the custody laws need to be amended. But at the same time, uh, the domestic violence laws need to be amended to remove the powers of police uh, to, without time limit, offer protection to alleged victims of domestic violence. Only courts within Japan should have the powers to do this. Local government should not have the power to do this. Um, the police, um, outside of temporary uh, measures, should not have the power to do this. So. You have a combination of, because if, if we um, say, okay, uh, joint custody is introduced tomorrow, but there's no amendment to the domestic violence laws, what will happen is you'll get even more <laughs> of these um, domestic violence um, uh, cases because they're unchallengeable. So there's no need um, for anybody to go to, um, uh, to court to try and get a court order uh, because the, you simply know that you're protected. And, and what happens is it, it, it then creates so many. Um, yeah, so many false uh, cases where people fall victims to these things, you know. So this is what I'm trying to challenge. Even I'm trying to discover um, if this was uh, the case against me. It was definitely not the case in court, but I don't know um, if or not she, my wife went to the police. I suspect that she did, uh, but the police refused to tell you anything. <laughs> it's really, it's like uh, Orwellian uh, world where you can uh, stand accused of something, but not even... Um, not even be aware <laughs> that accusations have been made against you, let alone have the opportunity to challenge it. So, yeah, so these things, um, they need to change. And, and these are the systems that are being, yeah, as you said, regularly abused um, uh, by lawyers. Um, the, the, the amount of budget uh, that the Japanese government allocates towards um, protection of domestic violence victims um, is extremely high. Um, and, and if you, um, if you factor in... Um, uh, yeah, payment for single mothers, payment for um, uh, for, uh, for for children um, in these situations, 
It's not this. It's not dissimilar to the defense budget in Japan. So this is an this is an institution that so many people are profiting off. Um, domestic violence shelters, um, uh, you know, women's um, NPOs, and and all these are framed um, only as um, as if only women can be victims of domestic violence in Japan. There's no recognition uh, of male domestic violence. I was regularly um, physically and mentally assaulted by my wife <laughs> during our marriage regularly. I attempted to mention this to the police and they literally laughed at me. There is no recognition um, in Japanese society that domestic violence can, can work both ways. It's only ever the case that a woman uh, can be a victim uh, of this regularly uh, in cafes, uh, on the train, on the street. I regularly see Japanese couples where they're having a fight and the, women will, the woman will just openly slap the man on the face in public. You, you can't do this. <laughs> you just cannot do it. But the Japanese turn a blind eye to this. So if we're going to have these laws, if they're going to be stringent, let's have it both ways. Let's have equal protection for everybody, regardless of gender, regardless of, um, regardless of race. But let's make it a judicial uh, uh, investigation that there can no longer be silent, lifelong protection because that allows the kidnapping of children and lawyers know it and they use the system and they abuse the system. The question that I keep coming back to whenever I hear all this is that if all this is happening all over Japan and we know it is happening from speaking with people like you on the ground, how come the news never report it or the magnitude of the issue is often understated and practically swept under the rug? I mean, anecdotally, I know, um, I know just so many people, but the the, the thing in Japan, and I agree, is that people don't want to talk about it. You know, um, yeah, it brings shame, it brings embarrassment. And indeed, I've seen numbers of, um, uh, you know, suicide numbers, for example, that are, that are very high within, uh, you know, this um, a sad little community of, of abducted parents. So, you know, Japan um, is recognized as having one of the, the highest suicide rates in the world as well. I think this is directly correlated to the number of, um, of victims of these parents who are victims, children who grow up as victims because children are growing up without um, a parent. But it's not talked about. It's not discussed in the community. You can have a case one day um, where a parent is there, the next uh, they're not, and nobody is asking questions. Oh, I haven't seen your husband. And, you know, in um, most other societies will be like, oh, you know, I haven't seen your husband for a couple of weeks. Is he all right? What? Here, nobody talks about it. It's silent. It's swept under the carpet. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to constantly shine a light on this because not just this, but it's other elements of Japanese society where, you know, most of us who are involved in this, uh, we, you know, we, we love Japan. We've invested a lot of time and energy and commitment into Japan. And we want to see um, Japanese society continue to evolve uh, and to grow. And, and, and for our children who are Japanese uh, citizens, we don't want them to grow up in a society like this either, where where difficult issues are not discussed, where where there's no um, robust debate about whatever it is, um, the politics or, or human rights violations or or you know aspects of society where people are being oppressed. There's no discussion on any of these issues. That, uh, Japanese society is like one great. Uh, you know, variety TV program where, where, where things are just designed to numb your brain. You're, you're not designed to challenge the status quo. You're not designed to question authority. 
and 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 it's these aspects that are that are impacting us in in this struggle, because nobody, almost a very small number of the Japanese victims of this are challenging it, are pushing, uh, are causing, um, you know, what the Japanese call meoaku, it, um, something uncomfortable for them. And you know, every time I go to attempt to obtain my school records, I'm causing these people a living hell because they don't want to deal with me. And so they pass me from department to department. Oh my God, here comes the guy again. We have to deal with him. But so instead of addressing the issues uh, and, and the problems and, and addressing and correcting them, they simply attempt to confuse you and make you go away through um, all sorts of bureaucratic wrangling. So in the second appeal uh, over my children's redacted school records um, was done by a lawyer. And they said, we dismiss your appeal on the grounds that one of the kanji, the Chinese character, that was used. One single kanji was not correct from the lawyer. So therefore, we dismiss your appeal. And you must go through the whole process. It's just absurd. The whole system is designed for you not to challenge it, not to question it, uh, as it is in every uh, aspect of Japanese society. So we need to change. We need to change a lot of things, which is why the struggle is so big, why the struggle is so deep. And, you know, I think there are people, you know, within this who know what's happening is wrong. But they can't challenge it because you can't have someone uh, in this uh, system of hierarchy, uh, you know, three or four levels down the, down the ladder. They can never challenge what the person two or three steps up the ladder has done because it's a Japanese society thing. So, so, so trying to break this, trying to crack this system, it's just so, it's so difficult. But, you know, but this is why, uh, this is why especially for the foreigners, uh, who um, have no shame or fear in talking about these things, we must continue to agitate. We must continue to push, um, continue to find allies within the Japanese LBP community, the non-LBP community, and crucially um, uh, within the political sphere um, to push our cause. So, you know, now there's um, campaigning for this election in Tokyo. So people are out on the streets, um, you know, with these loudspeakers talking about their policy. I go every day <laughs> from suburb to suburb, and just stop and talk to these people, explain the situation, and ask for their support. So, you know, I, I hope that we can have more Japanese allies um, in doing this because we need to change the system. And, and as with any change um, in society, you know, you look what happened with civil rights in America, you look what happened with apartheid in uh, South Africa. It came from the grassroots. It came from a, from a collective struggle. And we need uh, more people involved in the struggle to help us change things. Because, because the story is not known. It's not, it's not known internationally. And the Japanese uh, government puts a lot of um, effort into marketing their own image. There was a special uh, uh, supplementary budget uh, that was passed uh, last year of, I believe, 20 million US dollars that they spent on international marketing uh, to promote their uh, reaction to dealing with uh, the COVID um, situation. Because they want the world to think good of them. That's, that's what Japanese society is built upon. And you combine that with the lack of a free and independent press. Uh, Japan is regularly ranked uh, somewhere um, you know, in the midst of um, tin pot uh, African uh, dictatorships in terms of uh, global press freedom. There is no press freedom here. The press are not free to report, are not free to talk on issues uh, that will uh, disturb the wa or uh, interfere with the Japanese society. There's very little um, discussion of not just this, of any issue that can be of any damage to Japan. Japan presents itself as a democracy. Oh, really? You've had the same ruling party in power 
Ibarra won a minor two-year blimp. Since the end of World War II, show me another democracy that's had no transfer of power. Never. It just doesn't exist. Because this, this party runs the thing as a dictatorship. There's no, there's no dissenting voices allowed. There's no uh, scrutiny allowed. And every time this issue is raised internationally, they do everything they can to quell it. I'll tell you a story. Uh, last year, we had a, a major feature on, on this uh, child abduction um, uh, issue published in the Sydney Morning Herald, Pan's leading uh, newspaper, right? It was published in the weekend edition, like a five-page front of the you know, magazine uh, supplement kind of thing. It was all uh, online, a major thing. And the journalist is one of Australia's main um, investigative journalists. He worked for months on this story, you know, talking with um, you know, so many parents, talking with government officials. He, he really knew everything and he presented it very well. The day after it was published, he received a call from the Japanese embassy uh, in Australia. I said, ah, we would like to invite you for lunch. He called me, said, this is a very unusual. What do you think? And I said, oh, go and see what, <laughs> go and see what they have to say. He called me after the meeting and he said, in 20 years of uh, this job as a journalist, he's never been so humiliated or embarrassed. The Japanese embassy sent three senior staffers to this lunch, which went on for a couple of hours. And he said they berated him for two hours nonstop. What is your agenda? Why are you damaging Japan's reputation? Who is paying you to do this? What is your problem with Japan? You had a foreign government interfering with a free press in Australia. How is this possible? How on earth is this possible? Because the Japanese government is terrified of anything that can damage their image or their reputation. And they spend inordinate, inordinate amounts of money and time to uh, polish, to protect, and to uphold that reputation to the point where you are harassing journalists who are shining a spotlight on human rights abuses in Japan and you're attempting to silence them. They followed that up with a letter to the editor of the newspaper demanding explanations into why they were damaging Japan's reputation. The newspaper told them to go and uh, stuff themselves. <laughs> but this is the length that Japan will go to. These are the lengths the Japanese government will go to silence people who want to talk about this issue. And this is why people have a positive image, <laughs> because nothing negative is coming out. So this is why we need more we need more mainstream reporting, you know, and uh, there was a thing a couple of years ago in the Washington Post, you know, and, the, and we were told by Japanese politicians that this caused huge, uh, you know, ramifications. They're petrified of any form of coverage. So we need, uh, we need mainstream media to be uh, involved in this, to keep shining a light on this, to keep pushing it because, uh, you know, I mean, until... Yeah, until we do, you know, if we keep fighting in the shadows, we're only fighting in the shadows. But, but we need a government intervention. We need, um, you know, large-scale media intervention. We need, we need Japan to be constantly on the back foot in dealing with this where it becomes just too strong for them. And 
you know, they don't want to move because too many people are domestically making money uh, off, off this child um, abduction business. But, but they'll be forced to move when the international pressure becomes too strong on them and their domestic allies, they have to say, listen, sorry, it's causing us too much trouble. We're going to have to change. Yep. In fact, we are also finding it hard to get Japanese people to come forward and be brave enough to share their stories. If anyone listening or you know any other Japanese parents who are going through this, please ask them to reach out. We would love to share their story as well and make a ruckus, as Scott said. The change must come from inside. Do the right thing and reach out. With that said, I also gathered from my research for a petition that a lot of kids who end up growing up in a broken family mainly due to soul custody system in Japan, they end up getting involved with drugs, delinquency, crime, and in some cases, even prostitution. Any thoughts on that? I don't know, because, um, because I don't know so many um, uh, you know, victims of these children who are now um, adults. So I certainly hope that, <laughs> I hope that my children don't end up in prostitution and drugs, but, but I don't know. Um, I mean, the one thing about Japan that, that we have to say is, okay, it's not... Um, it's not a third world nation, you know. So uh, poverty here is a relative uh, term to poverty in um, in a lot of uh, the world, which you know, um, through my work travels, I've seen um, you know firsthand what uh, what genuine poverty looks like. That that's not the face of Japanese poverty. Um, but having said that, um, yeah, I mean, when you slip through the cracks, um, it's it's difficult <laughs> to um, to to maintain. Uh, to maintain yourself, but uh, you know, I, I can't speak on that because I don't know enough. Um, you know, kids who've who've grown up into this, um, into adulthood. Like I said to you earlier, I suspect the the bigger issue is suicide because you're growing up with um, uh, with grief, with confusion, with loss, with anger, and um, and these are very hard to to find a way out of. Yep, Japan is one of those countries with high suicide rate, and the highest suicide rate, I believe, when it comes to youth suicide rates. There must be a direct correlation to these high suicide rates with alienation and abduction. With that said, how did your family and friends take it when you talked to them about your story and what happened to you? Yeah, mine is definitely the super supportive uh, case because uh, this is an equal loss for them. You know, so so my mother um, had a very serious um, uh, incident and she's been in hospital for seven weeks. and uh, for a long period of that time, it was touch and go whether she would live or not. Thankfully, um, she's a little bit coming into the clear now. Um, so during that time, I, um, I went again to the police. Uh, I, I, so the only contact I have um, with my wife in any way is um, I know uh, her workplace. Uh, uh, and, and I called um, her workplace uh, attempting to explain the situation and um, please asking. Uh, for for her to call me, um, of course, there is no call. There is uh, nothing uh, coming. So I went to the police. Um, I attempted to explain the situation to them, and they simply said, we don't care. Um, it's none of our concern. It's none of our bother. I said, would you please just call uh, my wife and ask uh, uh, her uh, to explain this to the children? And the, And the police said, no, no, we won't do that. My lawyer contacted her lawyer uh, asking the same. And he said, no, we won't do that. This is, it's just, um, yeah, it's just horrific to understand uh, how a mother cannot want her own children to understand that their own family 
uh, is on the verge of death. And, you know, my mother's wish was just to, to hear the voice, to see the face of, these, uh, of her grandchildren. And the Japanese legal profession, the Japanese police, the Japanese court, who I also asked for help, said they can't help. And the, and the mother herself. Um, yeah, I mean, don't even go. I mean, it, it's, it's horrific. It's horrific and it's a human rights violation. And in any a civil nation, uh, you can't, you just simply can't do it. Um, you, you, you cannot act in, in this way. Um, and so you can imagine the grief. And, you know, my parents are old, right? So I don't know how much uh, time they have left on this earth. And, and so they know that they must also fight to support me in my struggle. You know, um, during my detention, my trial, they flew over to Japan to support me. Um, because they, um, you know, they, um, you know, I mean, in theory, you know, I, I, have, I have the time to wait until my kids are adults and hope they might come back and all this kind of stuff. But the grandparents, they don't have this time. Um, but I, I just look at it through the lens of the kids, you know, like what, 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 what's happening? What damage is happening to these kids to, to have one half of their family cut off like a leg or an arm? My children were taken from their school in Japan, removed from their school. They built relationships with friends. You know, my, my son was shy and he struggled to make friends and he had one very good friend finally, you know, after the six months of school. And I would really encourage, you know, these two. Every day they would come to our house, we would play together, you know, we would cook together, we would go to the park and catch insects. And, and to see my son grow and blossom with this friendship of this one guy, really, you know, it was such a positive thing for me. The day of the abduction, that's gone. The struggle that he went through to make, uh, you know, friends gone, cut, removed. Their history has been cut, removed, amputated. Their family, their culture, their language, amputated, amputated, amputated. And it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific for children to have to go through this. And then to have no institution in Japan stand up and defend the rights of these children. It's taken me two years to attempt to even see my children. I asked for a photograph of my children. And the court said, if we give you a photograph of your children, will you put it on social media? Well, I said, of course I will put it on social media. Because my children are abducted, and until their abduction stops, I will search for them. And having a current photo would help in that search. And the court said, oh, in that case, then we will not give you a photo because you can't put a photo on uh, social media. I said, okay, please, I would like to send a present to my children for their birthday. They permitted it one time. I said, I would like evidence that the present was delivered, was open, because it cannot be sent directly for whatever reason. And they said, no. No, no, we don't need to show you any evidence, any proof, nothing. My wife then went to the court and complained, said, please tell this foreigner to stop trying to contact his children. Please tell this foreigner. We don't need anything from him. 
We don't need presents. We don't need calls. We don't need photos. We don't need contacts. Please tell this foreigner to go back to his country and never contact me or these children for the rest of their lives. And the court has done nothing to intervene. Nothing. The police have done nothing to intervene. The local government organizations have done nothing to intervene because they don't want embarrassment. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want to be questioned. They want to maintain the status quo as they want in all elements of Japanese society. You know, people who um, suffer through these workplace conditions where suicide is also a very real issue in Japanese society. You're made, made to work from early in the morning until late at night. I have many friends in this, you know, and they're on the verge of uh, suicide because they can't handle these conditions and you can't challenge it. You can't question it. Japan wants you to float along uh, in silence, keeping your grief uh, private. We're saying no. <laughs> we're here to change things. And, and we're fighting for children. I'm not fighting for my children. I'm fighting for all children, past victims, but most importantly, future victims that we want to prevent from ever having to go through what my children uh, and me and my family uh, went through. So, yeah, uh, back to your question. It's, a, it's an immense grief. Um, my, uh, my daughter Hinata and uh, her cousin uh, in Australia were very close. They would speak um, every week. Uh, the cousin in Australia started to um, take Japanese classes to be able to attempt to communicate, although my daughter speaks very good English, uh, but to be able to, or she did, I don't know now, uh, to be able to communicate in Japanese. She was planning to come and study in Japan to be close to her. And, and she uh, calls me every week in tears. How can I talk with Hinata? How can I contact her? And what can you say to a, you know, to a little girl in Australia who's struggling to understand why her cousin has been abducted? You know, it's just horrific. I definitely feel your pain, Scott. I do. It is a horrible situation and we hope to solve it with everything that we are doing at FMP. Now, you keep saying the pressure must come from external sources like other governments and countries. What do you reckon these countries, organizations, and governments do? It's simple. Japan must suffer the same fate uh, that South Africa suffered under the apartheid regime. The nations of the world should immediately cease diplomatic relations with Japan. They should cease trade with Japan. They should no longer issue visas to Japanese to do business, to travel, to visit. The lands on which children have been stolen from or a connection to has been disconnected. There is, in my opinion, no more serious human rights violation of children anywhere in the world today than the ongoing abduction of children within and to Japan. Unfortunately, uh, Japan is not an easy uh, uh, or a trendy target. Uh, you know, I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, the Uyghur uh, cause in, in China. We've seen other issues um, uh, in, uh, in North Korea. We've seen issues in uh, Central Asia, in the Middle East. Uh, you know, nations that are not um, economically important or diplomatically important. But Japan, as one of the world's um, uh, top economic nations, doesn't like being embarrassed. 
They don't want the world to know what is happening because they don't want shame brought upon them. So instead of addressing the issue and changing it, they hide it. They block it. They quell you. They quieten you. And they confuse you to make you go away individually. So we need our governments. We have more than uh, almost 100 Australian victims that we know of. And we've been um, creating, let's say, major headache for the Australian government over this. Uh, to some degree of credit, there's been only um, after we've pushed extremely hard, there's been some connection. Um, I think the, the embassy uh, in Tokyo has met with the Japanese Ministry of Justice on a couple of occasions and um, you know, expressed their um, disagreements and so on. But, but nothing is being done to change the system by force. We've, we've tried, you know, the Australian government says, okay, we need silent diplomacy. We've tried silent diplomacy for a decade on this issue. <laughs> Other uh, governments, the French, the Germans, the Italian, the Canadians, have tried silent diplomacy. Japan has done nothing to change. And indeed, the situation is getting worse. So we need, now the time has come We've given Japan many chances, many opportunities to stop this and change it. And daily, they continue to abduct our children. So the time has come for sanctions on Japan. We need trade sanctions. We need diplomatic sanctions. The world must combine and say, stop abducting children. You're bringing grief for generations on your own people. You're bringing shame on your political and judicial institution. Yet it continues because there's no pressure on Japan, nothing. And they know that they can wield diplomatic and economic power. So we need and this is why the Japanese know the foreign parents must fight because we must convince our governments individually. The American parents must convince Biden. We must convince Morrison in Australia. The Canadians must uh, convince Trudeau. The Germans must convince Merkel. We must convince our own government to stand up and challenge Japan to put the interests of children ahead of economic trade or security concerns because there is no greater interest in the world than the rights of children. And we must fight to bring sanctions upon Japan because the day that sanctions arrive is the day that kidnapping ends in Japan. How about the parents in other countries? Can they do anything to help the situation? Everybody has different um, capacities. Everybody has different um, uh, capabilities. Everybody's dealing with different degrees of grief, which makes it hard to do anything, I know. <laughs> but the one thing um, people can do is that they can, they can fight for change because we're, we're all dealing with our individual cases and we all want, you know, I want to be reunited with my kids, of course, but I want the system to stop. And I want other kids to be um, saved. And I, uh, crucially, I want future kids to be stopped and parents to be stopped from being victims of this. So we need to bring about change to the foreign parents. 
every foreign parent has a local uh, member of parliament wherever they live, wherever their parents live, because they're also victims. Go and meet, I don't know, this environment, not meet, but call your local politicians. Explain the situation, your situation, but explain the bigger picture situation. Ask what they can do. Contact human rights organizations within your own country. And to people in Japan, the same thing. If every day, uh, you know, the human rights division of the Japanese Ministry of Justice is being inundated victims of child abduction, soon they will start to understand. But people don't talk. People don't um, take action. Visit local. I don't even have the right to vote here because I'm not Japanese, but I'm out there hounding politicians daily on this issue, presenting this issue, showing what it is, asking for support. And the, the, it's, it's growing, you know, but, but we can't do it with just 10 or 15 or 20 parents. We, we need a critical mass. If we have 100,000 parents contacting 100,000 politicians every year, then action is going to come because politicians are here to serve the interests of the people. You know, the people who are abusing and using this system are never going and fighting for political support because the system is already there to support them. So we have the ability to change the, the problems, to fix things, especially the foreigners band together find other people. You know, you guys are doing such a great job in, in, um, in building a community as well, internationally, globally. There's other NGOs that are doing it in Europe, in America, all around the place. Find people, reach out to people because there's not a country on earth that's not touched by this uh, thing. You know, I know people from all around the world uh, who have been victims of this uh, Japanese system. So people are not alone. Uh, you know, reach out. Create networks. We have a, of the Australian parents, you know, we have a, um, a WhatsApp group, you know, with all the parents in it to, together, you know, what can we do? Discussing ideas, bouncing things around, political uh, advocacy. So, so band together, particularly band together with people from your own nations, uh, join forces, um, but, but let your voices be heard. Uh, talk consistently with politicians. Talk consistently with human rights organizations in your country. And ask for change, push for change, because you know, for us to even get the Australian uh, government to, to to the first base took so much effort, and you know, and we're not uh, we're not stepping down, we're not being quiet, you know, we're just pushing more and more and more. So, yeah, the more that international parents, particularly, can do it, the more local um, Japanese parents can do it. The you know, we we need to, just to increase the the number till we get you know to a point of critical mass where. If Japan won't change by themselves, then we'll force uh, sanctions upon them where they're forced to change uh, because this is, how, um, this is how societies have changed throughout history, throughout the world, and, and, and Japan will change. It's just a question of how they'll do it and when they will. Do you have any message or any call to action to other left-behind parents like yourself? That I don't know because that's an individual thing. You know, People deal with things in different ways and I'm not an expert in... Uh, you know, in the, I've, I'm, I'm a victim of this, not an expert of it. So um, my case is different to, to every other case. But, uh, you know, I guess there's universal messages of, you know, of a love for a parent and a child. And, 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 that, and that one day, you know, this, um, one day these bonds, you know, no matter how um, uh, fractured or how afraid they are now, uh, will be woven uh, back together because, 
you know, these parents who are fighting to, to be with their children, I have to believe most of them are good people, you know, good people that have gone through grief and good people, if they continue to be good people, uh, set a good example uh, for their children. Uh, because, you know, one day you don't know when the day is going to come, the children are going to reach out and, and they don't want to see, um, you know, a, a disheveled, uh, you know, mess living under a bridge. They want to see someone who they can be proud of. And this is what I want to be for my kids as well. You know, someone who, who has their life in order, who, um, um, who's doing what they can to be reunited with them, but who's a good person, you know, because this is, I imagine most of the victims of this who fight in are good people and, and, you know, uh, just, uh, maintain strength, uh, maintain belief because, you know, you never know the day, you know, when you're a kid and you're waiting, I don't know, for Christmas or something, you know, you know, it's some point in the, in the dark and distant future, but you know, something good is coming, you know? So we also have to maintain this belief that we know something good is coming, but we don't know when, you know, it might be next week. It might be next month. It might be next year. It might be 10 years down the track, but one day that email will come. The call will come. The visit will come when you don't expect it. Uh, and you need to be, uh, you need to be ready and you need to be a good person, a positive person. And someone that your parents, can, that your kids can be um, proud to call, you know, their mother or their father. Truth be told, a lot of parents that I speak to always ask the same question, why me? They are often just in disbelief that this is what happened and it is a complete opposite of what they aspired to be. They never thought they will be going through so many court battles and hardships just to be with their own kids that they love and care for. Do you think in a similar way too? Yeah, but it's, but it's good in a way that it's happening to people like us that are talking, you know, like, you know, so we, we all got to bring our skills or our, um, you know, motivation to the, to the struggle. So this is what I keep saying is what I'm going to say in court tomorrow. You know, you people pick the wrong person to, to do this to because, you know, with me, this is going to end. I'm going to be the last one the last generation that this happened to because I'm going to make it a commitment to, to my children, to other children, that we are where this ends. We are where it stops. And so you can do what you want to me. You can push me down and victimize me. But there are others uh, beside me, uh, and I hope not, but uh, you know, behind me because we're, we're stopping it. <laughs> we're ending these crimes. We're ending these violations. We're ending this abuse of children. It's going to stop with us uh, who don't accept it, who won't uh, bow down and be silenced by it. We're, we're the ones, we're the generation that are going to stop it. I, I, I've made this point um, before that I, I often feel that the system um, in Japan that created to divide um, parents and children views uh, children as uh, some form of, 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 of property or some a form of a possession and, and, and the way that I'm uh, viewing this is in Japan, when you divorce um, your wife, you don't just divorce, uh, or your husband, you, you don't just divorce your wife or your husband, you divorce your children. <laughs> it's, it's a completely bizarre way of thinking. I don't choose to divorce my children. I was never married to my children. So why are you telling me upon divorce, where there is a cut of the tie between husband and wife, there should also be a cut of the tie between child and parent? No. 
You never married your children, man. <laughs> if you didn't marry your children, you can't be divorced from your children. You are a parent. And from the day your children are born until the day uh, one party uh, passes from this earth, there is uh, this, um, this continual bond between child and parent, parent and child. And, and this is a bond that no society should ever sever, should ever cut. And, and the day your children are born, is um, this is the biggest commitment you make in your life. You commit to raise, to support, to nurture, to love, to educate, to guide, to influence, to direct. Uh, to share good times, to share struggles, to, to, to be there for your children. This is a, a, a lifelong commitment. And, and it's a commitment that can never, uh, can never be um, fractured or separated uh, as Japan wants to fracture and separate it. So you have an obligation to, uh, to defend the rights of your children. Of course, I'm fighting for um, my rights. I want to see my children, of course. But more than this, I want them to see me <laughs> because this is their right. I want them to see their family uh, in Australia, their uh, culture, their history. But as the same with Japanese parents because you're, you're cut from one side of the Japanese family in a Japanese and Japanese case. And what did the other parents do to deserve this? What, what did the other, you know, uncles, uh, aunts, cousins, or what did they do to, to, to deserve this? So you have to fight uh, not just through the lens of yourself, but you have to look at this through the eyes of children who are growing up. You know, I think, you know, Japanese school loves to do these, um, you know, milestone um, kind of things. So every day on the, uh, Mother's Day or the Father's Day, the children at the school, you know, they sit there and they write uh, cards and letters thanking their mother for their support, thanking for their father for their support. What do our children do on these days? What do the other children in this class who are victims of this do? What, they write a letter to their grandfather or their grandmother in lieu of their father or their mother? The other thing that we need to stop is the support of the family of these abducting uh, parents, because this is just as a horrific situation. How can grandparents who know what their son or their daughter is doing is wrong support these actions? These people also must stand up and speak up and stop it. No, it's important for these kids to be with their mother, their father. But instead, in Japanese society, everything is silent. And you have grandparents supporting abducting uh, mothers, supporting abducting fathers in raising their children and doing these things. They become uh, de facto um, uh, parents in a way. It's also horrific. So, so, so to the parents who are victims, to, to uh, normal people who want to support this cause, we need to think what children are experiencing, what grief, what, what they're being told to be silent. They're being told to forget, to move on. No, these are little children who grow up innocent with dreams and hope, and they love both parents. They want to be with both parents. They want to see both parents. They want to uh, grow together with both parents. You know, as much uh, harm and damage that my wife has caused me, 
I don't want her removed from the life of these children. I want these children to have a relationship with their mother as much as I despise her because she's the mother of them and they deserve to have a relationship with her. They deserve to have a relationship with the Japanese family as much damage as I've been done by the family. And equally, they deserve to have a right to have a relationship with me and their Australian family. It's a right of the kids. The kids don't want to know about a squabble with the parents. They don't want to know mother did this, father did this, blah, 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 blah. It's normal throughout the world that parents uh, fight, disagree, separate. It's normal. But what's not normal is that they say, well, we can't co-parent. We can't think of the kids first. Even I don't want to see uh, you. You don't want to see me never again. Okay, but let's communicate. Yeah, today in school they were doing this. Uh, you know, next month uh, this event's coming up. You should come. It's a normal situation because we're thinking of the, the kids and the kids, they don't want to know about it. I don't want to know what my parents are fighting about. You don't want to know what your parents are fighting about. I have no interest in it. I don't care if they don't talk for me. I don't care about it. I hope that they're happy, sure. But I don't need to know the inner workings of their relationship. But as a, child, as a son, I want a relationship with my father. I want a relationship with my mother, whether they're together or, or not. It's completely normal. And this is, a, you know, until we start coming up with, um, uh, I don't know, robotic uh, uh, babies that are born in a lab somewhere, this is the way it's going to be. <laughs> that if you're born from two separate elements, in whatever structure of a family you can imagine or create, you have element A and element B that went together in creating you. <laughs> and and uh, most of element A and element B want to be involved in the upbringing and most kids want to be involved with element A and element B. It's just completely normal. So we just need to stop, uh, yeah, to stop this barbarism uh, in Japan. And, and, you know, we've asked politely as individuals, we've asked politely collectively. And Japan is doing nothing to change it. So we need to accelerate the pressure uh, on Japan. Japan's hosting a major sporting event this year. I guarantee 95% of the athletes in this um, global sporting event don't even know uh, the horrific crimes that are happening, you know, right around this stadium and, and vibrating all the way, uh, you know, north and south throughout this country. All right, Scott, my last question to you. What is your message to your kids if they're listening to this podcast? I just want to say that uh, I love them. I want to see them. I want to talk with them. I want to make up uh, for the lost years. You know, that, that I never stopped fighting uh, for them, to, to see them, to be with them. And, you know, I'm always here waiting, um, waiting for them to come to me uh, and, and, and looking to, to protect them and... And save them from this uh, nightmare, you know, that, that they and, and me are, are going through, you know, a nightmare that they may not realize the full uh, depth that they're going through now, but they will uh, one day. And, you know, uh, by me talking out, all these things are on record for them to listen. You know, if I'm not here for what, whatever reason, uh, my voice will, will echo. And, um, yeah, one day they'll know the struggle. Scott, I'm going to use the picture of you that I found online where you were wearing a shirt that says Stop Parental child abduction as a cover for this podcast episode. I love the t-shirt and I think it's awesome. And I hope it's okay mm. to use that picture. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. So I'm, I'm going to um, attempt again to wear this um, shirt into my court hearing tomorrow. So I, I've been, I was told by the judge uh, to no longer bring pictures of my children into any court hearing. And I was told to no longer wear shirts complaining about Japan because <laughs> every time I got to court, I wear these shirts, right? So I've got a proper one this time from one of the, the groups that basically it's a Japanese flag in black and it says Japan is a black hole for child abduction. So I'm going to attempt to wear this in court tomorrow. And, and just to see the reaction again of this judge every time he says, no, you can't do this. You can't. So they don't want to be confronted with them, you know? They don't want to be confronted with their crime. So almost certainly he's going to tell me to take it off, in which case I'll uh, sit semi-naked in the court hearing tomorrow. All right, Scott. Thank you for being part of this podcast. And I hope people who are listening got a good understanding of why is it important for us to get involved and do something about it. With that said, if you're interested in supporting us to bring the attention to the situation in Japan and the people who are suffering from alienation and abduction there, please support our petition at www.change.org slash joincustodyjapan. Now, I would like to remind everyone that our goal here is to share knowledge with you guys and show that you are not alone in this. With that said, if you need specific legal advice, please get your own independent advice from a qualified legal practitioner. If you're a minor or if you happen to have difficulties in understanding certain parts within this episode, please approach a responsible adult or someone knowledgeable and ask them for clarifications. We have done our best to make sure that it doesn't offend anyone. And if you have further questions or comments regarding Find My Parent or this interview or Scott, you can mail me at sk at findmyparent.org. If you are someone who got separated from your own parent and would like to find your parent again, please go to findmyparent.org and fill out your details. With the help of our smart algorithms and matching technology, we hope to help you find your alienated parent again. If you're part of an NGO or even a private company passionate about this topic, please reach out through the contact us page at findmyparent.org and we hope to work together with you. All right, folks, that's it for today. Speak to you soon. Take care. Till then.